Welcome to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan, where conversations build community. Our Monday Morning Conversations are meant to create a safe space where respectful dialogue is encouraged. Our intention is to promote understanding by listening when having difficult conversations. We hope to offer you resources as you travel your personal journey. Good morning. And good morning. Um, Dan Leffler here. We lost our 17-year-old daughter, Leah, in a car accident in November of 2000. That's why we do this work. And today, uh, we are going to be talking to a specialist in grief therapy. One of the things, and we've talked about the loss of Leah before, one of the things we haven't talked about was the effect that grief had on her pets and how that affected uh, our lives uh, as well as going forward uh, how we are affected by the loss of our pets. You're listening to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan and Frogtown Radio, WFNU-FM 94.1. Our number is 651-313-5125 if you have a question for us in the course of our, our show. Our passion is changing the conversation around grief and helping people that we talk to find meaning, purpose, and joy again so they, they can fully participate in their lives. Join us today uh, for our conversation and help us build community. As I mentioned, one of the things that uh, strongly affected us uh, after Leah's death was the impact of uh, her her uh, pet, um, Mabel, who was a golden retriever, uh, who was brought into our family um, through a, a long, uh, it's a long story, but basically her boyfriend convinced us that uh, we were about to add another member to our family. And that was uh, a wonderful addition, um, Mabel, the golden retriever was deeply affected, though, uh, by Leah's loss to, um, when it occurred. And you could tell that she didn't quite know what was happening because her her parent was, wasn't uh, around anymore. Today I wanted to start out, though, by playing a little um, introduction, intro to um, what it's like to have a pet and what it's like to be a pet. This is a song by... Um, uh, Barry Lewis Polisar called, Oh, I Want to Be a Dog. Oh, I want to be a dog. I want to wag my tail. Chase cars. Jump up onto your clothes. Oh, I want to have dog breath. I want to learn how to growl. 
That's always a fun song to to hear, and really looking forward to our topic today. And our guest, um, as Dan said, our topic is pet grief, and our guest is Jan Jeremias. Jan is a certified yoga teacher and a reflexologist, and has extensive background in science and health. She received her bachelor's degree in biology from Stern College for Women, and her master's degree in immunology immunology of infectious diseases and her diploma in tropical medicine from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, University of London. Jan worked in clinical infectious disease and cancer research centers at Cornell University Medical College and Mount Sinai Medical School in New York City for over 20 years. In addition, Jan worked for the New York City Department of Health for four years. While working for the NYCDOH, Jan was introduced to essential oils to help with her 14-year-old dog, Casey, who had canine cognitive disorder or old dog dementia. At first, Jan did not know about the power and benefits of using essential oils and other healing modalities, but she soon became convinced when her dog began, began acting and feeling better. Casey lived to the age of 19 years old. Since then, Jan has completed extensive coursework in, aromathera in aromatherapy and intensive course on essential oils for animals. Her passion for natural health and her scientific background has allowed her to help people and their pets worldwide. She has a unique ability to merge the West and the East to empower people and their pets in a journey to wellness for themselves and their pets. First, uh, I'd like to say good morning, Jan. Can you hear us? Uh, yes, I can. Thank you so much. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Great to have you here. So Great to be here. <laughs> yes, um, and an important topic. Um, one of the things that uh, I came across as I prepared for the show today was that the death mm -hmm. of a pet has a tremendous uh, economic impact um, across the United States. And the number that I heard was $2.4 billion that... Um, Is that a year? That's a year yeah. um, for people dealing with the loss of their pet and all of the things that are associated with, uh, you know, the medical uh, concerns, the um, costs, um, not only uh, the, the financial cost, but let's talk about, you know, some of the emotional costs. And, you know, I mentioned early uh, that um, Mabel was affected by her loss. And I know... As well as our family dog, Willow. Yes. Um, who was... Had been part of the family for a number of years before uh, Mabel joined us. Um, but that's just a jumping off point. We'd like to open it up uh, for you and where share with us uh, you know you, your understanding your um, approach thank you um, I think that 
two things happen. A few things happen when um, a, a pet, um, a human passes away in a pet home. Um, one is depending on the role of that human in their life, meaning if they're, you know, their primary caretaker and they're looked at as being the alpha or the dominant person in that relationship between the animal and the human, what ends up happening is obviously they don't have that direction anymore because animals always look to us for our cues. And when they don't have those cues, it's very confusing, disorienting, and obviously very upsetting. That's one factor. The other thing that happens is that um, there is the love factor, obviously. They have unconditional love for us. I mean, I hear story after story of um, pets who've lost a human where they don't eat, they actually visit graves, they, you know, they truly do feel that loss. Um, they also feel the loss of another pet in that, in that household. So, you know, I don't know that necessarily people think about it, but if you have a multi-pet household, all of a sudden the dynamics in that household changes when one pet dies because there's always a hierarchy. And so if there's a pet that's a dominant pet and all of a sudden there's no pet to look for leadership to, like my cat that passed away was an alpha, was definitely an alpha over my um, dog, my other dog and cat. And so they were like, kind of like, who's the leader now? And if there used to be no leader, they now have no one to lead. Like they don't have that role anymore. So it, 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 like that whole structure, once it changes, and it, you know, they can adjust just like we adjust to the loss of someone or a pet, but it does take time and lots of patience, I would say. Are there specific ways that you can help your pet adjust? Um, yeah, I mean, I think similar to us, I mean, engaging them to having them do the things that they like to do, you know, so if you have a dog that loves to play, making sure you have quality time with that pet, um, you know, so that they're not left in isolation alone um, is very, very helpful. There are some essential oils that I do go to because I think they help process emotions. You know, we can't say it's not like humans, so it's not like we can show them pictures, you know. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think the primary thing I always think people is just lots of time and make sure that, you know, they're, you know, you're around. And the other thing that happens is that pets are very good at picking up on our cues. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm not saying that anybody needs to rush through their grief process because they can't, but sometimes what's happening is they're actually picking up on the loss we feel, whether that be a, a, another human being in the household mm -hmm. um, or a pet in the household. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that our dogs did after Leah died was we'd find them sleeping on her bed um, mm -hmm. often. Yeah. Yeah, just curled up and wanting to be near her, um, you know, the uh, smell of her uh, presence, the um, you know, comfort of her room and all of the things that uh, reminded, I guess, them of her. Yeah. You mentioned essential oils in, in your, um, um, when you were talking about how to help dogs. I'm, I'm really curious about that because I've, I've heard uh, um, that some essential oils are toxic for pets. So I'd, I'd love to hear your, um, which ones you recommend and your, um, uh, uh, are there some that, that are toxic, and which ones are they? Yeah, um, with essential oils, I would 
would say you have to look like everything in the world. You have to look to quality. Right. So I think you get what you pay for, even though people, you know, I don't know if that people necessarily agree with that or like that. But I think when you're dealing with natural products, it's really true. You want to get something that's thoroughly tested um, for purity to make sure that there's no contaminants at all. Um, pets happen to be a lot more sensitive to chemicals like pesticides and things like that, probably more so than we are, or it's obvious, it's a lot more obviously obvious with them. So you want to make sure that whatever you're buying is pure and is thoroughly tested. And that's usually not only um, for purity, that's to make sure that what you're getting, what they say is in the bottle is actually in the bottle. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then the other thing, there are oils I always... I tend to avoid just because I've always been a firm believer in that, you know, I've used uh, essential oils on my pets that I've had since Casey every day of their life. Mm-hmm. And there are always, there's a, many, many different oils out there, lots of different types, blends, or whatever. And I tend to avoid all the oils that tend to be on the warmer side, meaning that they're, if you put them on the skin, there's a warming <clears throat> sensation. Right. Because yeah. they're going to be warm to the, they're going to be warm to the animal's skin. And if the experience is not positive, you're never going to get an oil on them again. Right. Animals yeah. are very good. <laughs> animals are really good at that. <laughs> they will run, they'll hide, then it becomes a game. So yeah. I always try to keep the experience positive. Mm-hmm. So that being said, a lot of the warming oils, the ones that people always think about, or if you're in, using essential oils at all, it might be some of the spice oils, mm-hmm. some of the really hot oils, because there are gentler oils you can always turn to if you're looking to address an emotional or physical issue versus taking out the what I used to like to call the big guns. And so why start there? Mm, and yeah. then if you're going to use an oil like that, it's just uh, maybe consult someone who might be much more experienced in essential oil. You know, I don't like to call myself an expert, but an essential oil person who has a lot of experience, not only with essential oils, but essential oil usage in pets. Mm-hmm. And just make sure that way you're, you know, better safe than sorry. Yeah, absolutely. And I can understand where essential oils and, you know, the aroma therapy, because animals have so many more, uh, so much more sensitivity to scent than people do, that to keep it a positive experience would be so important. <laughs> and you're right. We have a cat currently, and. Um, you try to make everything that uh, we do a positive experience for the pet and not introduce trauma. Although right now we have an issue with getting our a granddaughter and our cat <laughs> to uh, cohabitate when whenever she comes over for a visit. So it it can be a trial and difficult for people. But let's talk about the death of a pet and how that influences now the the human side of this equation. And I guess, you know, it's a difficult subject because pet grief can be so complex. What is it that you find the most common uh, issue that people have? Is it getting stuck? Is it, um, or is it something else? I think the most common issue that I find is the lack of acknowledgement 
in the world of such a thing as loss or grief of a pet. And I think it's gotten better over the last number of years, especially because so many people got COVID pets. Mm -hmm. So I think that people who never had a pet now understand that bond and that relationship, plus people who got pets during COVID understand the value and uh, so many emotional, physical benefits to, to having a pet in their, in their life. So I think there is slightly more understanding out there around the whole idea of pet grief and the fact that people grieve a pet. But I think for a long time, it was kind of belittled and people would say the most horrible things like, oh, it was only just a pet, you know, mm-hmm. you can go get another, you know, <laughs> like, it's like, right. like they're so replaceable. Mm, that's and true. Like human, just like human beings, I mean, I've had so many pets through the years and they all have different pet personalities. They're very unique and very individual and therefore my relationship and also where I was when I had them, you know, so where I was in my life. So mm-hmm. that relationship is different. So yes, I've had different play, different pets, but no pet has ever replaced the previous pet. It's just a new relationship. Right, right. Just like you would never say to someone who lost their daughter, well, well. although people did say this, at least you have other kids, or um, you can have another child, or whatever, that you would never say that, hopefully. And I think you bring up a great point about COVID. COVID changed our lives in so many ways, and uh, having that companion when everybody was sequestered and uh, homebound, um, really made a difference of having that support animal, that pet friend, available to offer that unconditional love that uh, mm-hmm. pets often uh, give us or always give us. Yeah, and I, I know you have um, a pet loss program. Can you share with us how you support someone who has lost a pet? Launched, I, um, I launched a pet loss program about three months ago for people who had um, their pet, whose pets had passed. And uh, it's an eight-week program, an online program that's offered to people where we meet weekly. We have specific, we do have what we call love work instead of homework. <laughs> mm. <laughs> the idea of homework sounded so school-like, where we have tools that we offer people to help them process the grief and then um, go through it in a very supportive, loving environment um, with people who, you know, with the other participants I've found who everybody's very supportive in each other and understands that bond and that relationship mm-hmm. where friends and family might not. Right. You're listening to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan on Frogtown Radio, WFNU-FM 94.1. Our number is 651-313-5125 if you have a question for Jan this morning about pet grief. What happens if you discover that uh, someone is stuck and is having a difficult time? Is, is it, um, what do you do then? Well, I'm very... I should say I'm very um, quick to possibly refer people to, I'm not a therapist. Mm -hmm. And so if people need services that I don't provide or I feel like they're really stuck and they could use some outside help, 
I'm going to refer them to someone who I think could better us system and processing that grief and moving forward. Mm-hmm. Right now, most of the people who've taken the program have been people who, where the pet loss is fairly new, I would say, mm-hmm. anywhere from like a month to five, six months. But through the years, I have met people who, you know, his pets passed a number of years ago who do seem stuck. And at that time, I wasn't offering them the program, and I think the program would be useful, but I think they also might require, you know, some more extensive therapy that um, I do not offer. Mm -hmm. Sure. As you were talking, another question arose, and I'm wondering if you find that as people are meeting the pet grief, if other griefs that they've experienced, whether the death of a loved one or other life-changing transitions that they've gone through, if, if that comes up during the, while they're processing the pet grief. It does, which is, I, I think it happens because it's such a major life change. Mm-hmm. And pet grief, depending on how long you've had a pet and how long they've been in your life, that relationship, they're here through everything in our lives. When I lost Casey, I remember thinking to myself, like, I'd had her for 19 years. Like, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. And as I thought about it, with all the life experiences that had happened to me, where she had been there to support me. Because unlike people, they don't talk back and they just listen. So we can tell them anything they want that we want, and they don't judge us. Mm. And so when all of a sudden that is not there, I think as... You know, when I lost Casey, it was like all of a sudden not having that support, all the other things that had happened in my life all of a sudden just started to come up again. Mm-hmm. I thought about them. I think I processed them differently. I think I wondered about what was going to happen, um, you know, now that I didn't have her because mm-hmm. she had been my confidant, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You. those are all great points. And... All of all of them are part of what makes pet grief so so complex, and the fact that it's not recognized readily by society can, um, I think, really maybe doesn't give some people permission to grieve in, in the way that is needed when a pet dies. I think absolutely. I think that one is. I think even we've been so. Um, programmed by society in some ways even if we love a pet I think we think to ourselves I remember thinking to myself like I can't believe I'm crying this hard or I'm this upset about losing my pet you know even though I loved pets Mm -hmm. but I think that it's not something that was ever really talked about at all Mm -hmm. and so I think that that's the people when things aren't discussed and you go through them all of a sudden people think they must be abnormal in some way like there must be something wrong with me right exactly we find the same thing working with uh, our clients uh, um, who have lost a loved one they they think that those they've learned how to grieve through um, watching their family or or looking at what's society says and most most of the time that's not helpful no it's not at all 
Um, we put so much pressure on ourselves to go through it more quickly than we can mm-hmm. um, that I think that's, you know, a huge thing. And I know myself going through different losses through the years. So this, like, almost, <laughs> this, this is still there. But also there were times, like, just a, a, with a human where certain dates come up mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's like it resurfaces again, even if you've gone through it. Oh, right. Just like humans' birthdays. Mm-hmm. Um, what's big in the pet world is the gotcha day. If you, like, adopted a pet, mm-hmm. the day you took them home, even though that's not their birthday. Right. The day that my pets came home, basically, since many of them, I've always had rescues, and I didn't necessarily know their birthdays. The gotcha day was really important. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, those are all reminders, just like for people, you know, human birthdays when the person has passed. Right. Or some sort of day that marked a specific occasion might trigger and then cause that grief to resurface itself mm-hmm. um, yeah. and come up again. And thank you for reminding our listeners of that because being aware of that and knowing that my, those kind of milestone days can be triggers and have the grief come up up again is the first step towards recognizing what it is and then knowing that when you go through it again you receive additional um you go through additional layers of grief and receive additional insight into the grieving process into the pet the love that you had for your pet and um, it's it's it, it, it's a continuation. It doesn't necessarily end because the pet has been gone for two, five, or ten years. That that, like you said, you, um, Casey was with you for almost twenty years. So that that's um, you went through a lot together. Absolutely, and I think you bring up a good point, Nancy. Is that you know preparing yourself and everybody. I mean, I've done different things through the years. I, you know, walked in her favorite place. I've, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've taken out pictures. I've lit candles to kind of mark those specific. And I think as we navigate grief, grief, we can start to understand what kind of helps us go through something. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, if we're aware enough of it, we can say, okay, well, this made me feel better. And sometimes for me, I write a lot. So writing is always a really great outlet for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, through the years, I've written letters to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things we do do in our grief program is we write a letter to our pet. Mm-hmm. Um, something that surrounds, I think, just like human loss, which surrounds pet grief a lot or pet loss is this feeling of, you know, should I have done more? Sure. Um, with pets, you know, we have this unique opportunity to decide in some t- in some cases when the pet is going to pass, especially if they're mm-hmm. very, very ill. It might be a choice to, you know, put them to sleep mm-hmm. at that. And so many people are pet owners. I think that's probably, you know, most of the time that's the dominant way is the pet becomes very old or debilitated and their quality of life is not, you know, is not there anymore. And we have to make that decision. And making that decision and deciding when it's the right time is a very challenging decision for people. And so after the pet has passed, all of a sudden you're like, should I have waited? Maybe I did it too soon. Was Mm -hmm. the pet ready? Is the pet angry? 
you know, or upset, and we have all those feelings of guilt and questions that we ask ourselves. So right. I think that right. that makes sometimes those the passing a lot more challenging. You know, with people, yeah, positive or negative, we don't we don't have those decisions to make most of the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and. I remember when our dog Willow was sick and she had tumors, multiple tumors, and that decision was going to be coming up fairly soon. And it was not long after Leah died. And I just felt like I couldn't make another decision to, I couldn't make that decision. I didn't have the capacity to make that decision for another living being. So I prayed that she would be taken in her sleep and she was the next day she we she was had gone so it was I, I, it was even though it was so sad because we had had that dog for a really long time um i was i was really relieved that i didn't that we didn't have to make that decision again it was just too hard yeah exactly so, so true i i think that, that it's such a such a hard decision to make and i always tell people that first of all if you were to if you were to take the on like the personality and the persona of your pet and you were them, I swear to you, they're not looking down. If you believe in heaven, they're not looking for down from heaven, like angry at you because you put them to sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, likely not. That's not the way pets are. Um, and so I think they totally understand. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're not. They're not. They don't think of it as like. You know, they don't think humans, like, they don't think like a human. They think like an animal. Like an animal, yeah. And, you know, animals in general are just love. They and just love. I know so. we both have a, a mutual friend who communicates with pets, and that might be something that could be helpful if, if you are feeling guilt or feeling um, some of these feelings we've been talking about to find an animal communicator who can. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you communicate with, with animals, Jan? Yeah, you definitely can find someone, and I do suggest that if somebody has had, like, is carrying around a lot of questions um, about end of life or about the life of their pet. Mm -hmm. And I have a few people that I, you know, that I have, um, that I know personally, and I do tend to. Me personally, I've done a little bit of animal communication under and uh, not so much after loss. I've done a little bit with people who have actually, where their pets actually run away. Mm-hmm. And I've helped in certain circumstances for them to return home. Uh, um, I've never done after, yeah. you know, after, after passing yeah. communication. But I do think it is helpful in some cases, or probably in almost every case, and might be a worthwhile thing for someone to look into or if they need help um, finding someone I'm glad to provide that help yeah I, I think so too I, I um, had a consult with an animal communicator after we moved from Raleigh to to St. Paul and we were living in a we live now in a condo and our cat's personality changed just a little bit so I wanted to find out what was going on and she told us that, that our cat liked looking out of her window looking at the outside and looking at all of the her animal friends outside and up in a condo she didn't have that so um, we did a few things to help her feel more comfortable and it, w- it was really helpful and comforting t- to do that I did something similar for someone who um, 
had moved and their cat wasn't adjusting well. And some of it is just they had moved and then in the new location they had put the food sort of in an odd kind of off place on the litter box. So oh. I think it's just this lack of being around everybody. Like all of a sudden the pet was, you know, when it was doing its primary things of like life-sustaining functions of eating and going to the bathroom and everything was in isolation, like totally in a different part of the house. Mm. And so they did some rearranging and the cat was so much happier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to go back to one of the things you said that um, I, I um, read in your introduction, um, the marriage of the East and West modalities. I, I, I love that. And, and I'm wondering if you can share with us what is the biggest advantage or advantages of being able to merge the two? Well, I, to me, and this is obviously these are my opinions, I don't think there's a disadvantage um, to looking at things from both perspectives. I, I, I think, and I love both, I think um, sometimes some of the more traditional modes of healing or medicine, however you want to label it, um, is too compartmentalized. They've separated out, let's say, specialties or things like that into compartments. And I don't think as a human being, nothing functions in isolation. Right. So understanding that and the communication between different um, specialties in traditional medicine is not always as robust as it needs to be or it should be. So I think sometimes things are lost. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of in more Eastern modalities that they look at a, at a person as a whole. Right. And so that's why I like the merging of both. I think the diagnostics of and treatment sometimes of in a more Western way is obviously very beneficial. If you need surgery, you know, I always use the example, like if you need to set a bone, you have to set it, or heart surgery, you have heart surgery. But I think that you have to look at things like lifestyle and um, a lot of other factors to totally heal. And I don't know that those are necessarily addressed in more traditional modalities as well as they should be. And I think that Eastern modalities tend to pay more attention to things like that. So I love the idea of being able to merge them both. I also think that not only do we when we need to feel better, we not only are, and something affects us physically, because we're sick or something that doesn't only affect us physically, and we have to address the emotional element of any illness. And that mm-hmm. could be, you know, if we're grieving, where that kind of grief settles in the body. Right, right. I'm wondering, as, as you were speaking, I, I had this, this question pop in, and I'm wondering if by merging the two modalities if uh, if the eastern um, modalities can help or the eastern traditions can help the western ones uh, be more effective um, I think absolutely it can help I think that understanding a pet or someone's emotional makeup can definitely affect us and alter our healing abilities. 
And sometimes emotions manifest in specific ways. Um, I remember many years ago, I was asked to consult on a dog that had horrible skin issues, horrible. And um, I walked in and I'm talking to the woman and I said to her, you know, I said to her, whenever I meet with someone, I ask a thousand questions. So the scientific brain in me that kind of kicks in and I just look for any nuance. And so I'm just walked in and I had this feeling as I walked in, I thought this place, this house feels really strange to me. Wasn't quite sure what that was, but it just felt very odd and very off to me. And I remember thinking to myself, there's much more going on than this dog's horrible skin issues. And I wasn't quite sure what it was. And so been asking her all these questions and said to her, well, tell me a little bit about the dogs. Like, you know, so I'm talking about physically, but I'm like, if it's a rescue, what do you know about its background? If it's from breeder, what do you know about the breeder, breed, all that kind of stuff. And the woman turns to me after I walked in the house for like, you know, a few minutes later and I'm asking these questions and she said, oh, well, you know, we only have the dog a year and the previous dog owner died of a drug overdose. And I remember, I think, <laughs> the chills, and I, I, I think I just went pale, like I couldn't, couldn't believe it. And we started to address some of the grief issues, let alone with the physical issues, mm-hmm. and using like things that would help skin and things like that. And she was working with that, and the skin issues cleared up. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, this sort of emotional element of the dog was definitely contributing to whatever what was going on with the dog. So I think that merging both is really quite, is a gift mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, keep them both in mind when you're trying to help your pet. I really like the idea that um, the Eastern approach, uh, what you said about looking at the in- entire person and not just looking at a symptom to be treated. Um, and, and I think that's a, a, a wonderful way of looking at it. And um, I, I have another question, though, about children's uh, approach to uh, pet grief. And what can a parent say or do? And, and if you've had any experience with, uh, with that, because I know in my um, history, um, you know, from being a little kid uh, to, you know, dealing now with um, a mature cat who is approaching and has developed some medical issues. As a child, you know, it was, well, we can replace the pet. We can um, give them a good send-off. But um, I think children deal with the loss of pet in a little different way. What's your experience with that? I have to say from my personal experience, so I had multiple pets growing up, and I think one of the most valuable things that my mother did, and I have to thank her, and I do um, thank her so much for this, was that she involved me in the decision-making when my cat was really sick. I had a cat that was really my cat, and when I was at school one day, which I knew, she was taking the cat to the vet, and that told her that the cat needed to be put to sleep. And my mother turned to him and said, I can't do it now. This is my daughter's cat. I have to go home and ask her permission or have her know this before. Like, cause I can't just walk in the house 
and have her come home from school and have the cat be gone. And mm. so I remember coming home, I was like 10 years old, and I came home from school that day, and my mother sat me down and said, you know, the cat's really sick, and the vet said, you know, we have to put the cat to sleep, or you should put the cat to sleep. And I remember telling me it was my decision. And her saying to me how, you know, how sick the cat was, like, look, because like, dragging his back legs. I mean, it was obvious he was really sick. Mm-hmm. And I was included in that decision, which I think made the whole process so much easier, in some ways more challenging, but I never had the guilt thing. I just remember thinking to myself that, uh, you know, as an adult, and you think even as a child, um, really thinking to myself that was such a valuable thing to me because I would have been devastated had I gotten home from school and the cat not have been there. Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, and then I have a friend who said that she made that mistake with her daughter. She actually didn't include her daughter, and her daughter's an adult now, but said that her daughter still hasn't forgiven her Mm. for not including her in that decision. And her mother was only trying to shield her from the pain of mm-hmm. having to make that decision. So obviously, you know, my friend didn't do it maliciously, you know, or anything. She just was like, I'm trying, you know, I want to take care of my daughter and I don't want her to be in that kind of pain. But in the end, it probably would have, I mean, at least in that circumstance. And, you know, it's never black or white. You know, every circumstance is different and every child is different. But for me, that was such a valuable experience to be involved in that. And so I think involve them in the decision-making as far as depending on their age and how much they understand you share the appropriate information. I mean, I know that there are a number of resources out there. The American Kennel Club has a, a number of resources that they list for what to say, not say to a child um, if their pet is lost, depending on the age. So does the American Humane has a really good portion of their website that's directly on this topic so that when the time comes you can say what you you know depending on the child you can say what you need to say mm-hmm. and then I do mm-hmm. think I, well, I had a client who I was working with for a long time who happened to be lost her daughter then lost her dog very similar to what you both experienced or, and then um, I was with her and she used to take care of her grandson a lot so her grandson was over, and we do pictures of the dog. We made cards. Um, we did a lot of things. We, t- we were not, not shy. It wasn't a taboo subject at all. And if he wanted to talk about it, we talked about it. It wasn't like we specific necessarily brought it up. But if he asked a question, we could try to answer it, and we didn't try to push it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And can you share a couple of things? You know, so often... Um, People uh, say things to us out of the best of intentions, just like you shared about your friend and her daughter, but some of the things they say are not necessarily helpful. What are some of the things that you should or should not say to to someone who's grieving the loss of a pet? As I mentioned before, I think one of the most traumatic things people have said to me me through the years um, has been, oh, well, it was only a pet, or don't worry, you can get another. Mm Mm-hmm. Not to say, and I know people are being helpful, but it definitely wasn't constructive. 
Right. <laughs> it's like I did not need to hear that. I think just loving and understanding and just saying, I, you know, I'm really sorry and I know how you feel or I can imagine how you feel if you've never had a pet. I did value greatly, you know, cards when people sent cards or just notes. And I would say just be there and don't feel compelled necessarily to say anything. I think so much of the time people just want to be listened to and heard. Mm-hmm. Right. And they don't really want you to, they'd almost prefer you don't say anything versus, you know, and just listen versus say something that's inappropriate. Yeah. I think that's one of the lessons that we've learned too in um, working with people who uh, have lost a loved one and, um, you know, the same kinds of things hold true uh, no matter what type of loss you've experienced. When people aren't getting the support that they need from their family or they're not getting, uh, they're being told that they should get over it and uh, people are, the, the griever is feeling like you're diminishing the importance of this pet in my life. Um, is there anything that... Uh, can help support them in in that. Um, I, I know finding a grief program, working with somebody, finding someone who will listen to their heartbreak, because that's what it is. It's not um, um, their that little piece of their heart that their pet was, you know, it's, um, embracing. Yeah, um, is is now shattered. And what? What other things can you think of that uh, might help someone in that time? I know that wasn't a very cohesive question, but it... it, No, no, it's fine. Um, So I can say that a few of the things that I'm really glad I did through the years, and I think now with smartphones and things like that, um, it's really, really useful. Take lots of photos. You never can have enough. It's a really great testament to the love, and it's very visual. And depending on who you are and what you love, you know what you love, and what you loved about your pet, you can capture those moments. And for me, it has always given me comfort um, to be able to go back and look at them. Um, I have my own podcast called Pets, People, Life, and Longevity, mm-hmm. and one of the things the my. Um, my podcast producer told me to do is actually record my dog and because he wanted to use his barking in the background. <laughs> I love that. After I recorded it, I thought, oh, I'm so happy I have this. Yeah, I love that. And my other, my Casey loves to talk, so I used to have lots of recordings of her like talking to me. When mm-hmm. barking, she would talk. Like, mm-hmm. she would make these, you know, sort of rah, 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 rah. She was like, she was hysterical. <laughs> so she would talk all the time. But things like that, which definitely bring you a smile, a smile to your face, um, are really so, so, so precious. I've done things with people called a smile journal. So each day they should get up and write something that makes them smile. And I, you know, if they can do it with regard to their pet, that's great. So they start to remember their pet with fond memories or joyful or happy memories versus all the recall being the end or the fact that they're not there and, you know, to try to shift it a little bit, at least for a moment a day where you start to 
you can recall very easily. And this one, we can go back and read them. Um, so those are a few of the things that I've done with people through the years. Thank you for sharing that, Janet. <clears throat> Thank you for your conversation today. It's been um, very enlightening and um, it went way too fast. I <laughs> can't believe it's time to wrap things up. Uh, before we do, though, uh, Jan, share with our listeners how they can be in touch with you. Oh, sure. Um, they can, I'm on Facebook quite a bit underneath my name, Jan Jeremias. Um, the other way is through LinkedIn. Um, I'm on that platform quite a bit, and people can reach out to me there. Um, Right now, if you're interested in the grief program, the best way is to personally reach out to me. We're in the process of setting up a, a website specifically for that. And so this way I can connect them with um, and tell them about the next program that we're offering. Uh, and so those are the best ways to reach out to me. And I would say don't email, don't email me okay. because I'm not good with email. <laughs> I get too many and I don't want to miss it and I'm much more likely to respond in a timely manner through Facebook Messenger or um, LinkedIn Messenger than I am via a text Great. Um, and then via email. Text is always good and I can give the listeners my phone number. That doesn't uh, bother me because the number they could reach out to me at is 917-865-2155. Great. Thank you. And where can they find your podcast? The podcast is found on almost all major podcast forum, uh, platforms, but um, Spotify carries it. So it's called Pets, People, Life, and Longevity. And it's all about life with a pet. Great. Well, thank you once again, Jan. Um, to summarize, today we talked about grieving for our pets and how our pets grieve for uh, other members of the household bringing out the stories that made this animal friend a part of your life and sharing them with each other can allow healing to begin as we realize that we're not alone remembering your animal friend in the way in the way that you knew him in life not as the way you are now suffering by remembering him only in death him or her it will allow you to have your fond memories and not turn it will allow you to have fond memories to turn to rather than painful memories as you go forward in life. Again, thank you, Jan. And um, next week, um, we're going to be discussing honoring your grief process and how everyone grieves in their own way. I think that holds true for pet grief, and we're going to go deeper into the honoring that uh, grief process. Today, for our inspiration, um, I came across this um, uh, quote from Roger Karras um, from 2001, um, who is sometimes known as the voice of uh, the Westminster Kennel Club. He said that dogs are not our whole life, but they, they make our lives whole. And I thought that was a, a great way of ending this segment. And... Um, Again, thank you. Listen to us next week. Thank you for listening. Through our journey, we know it's possible to find meaning, purpose, and joy again after a loss. Join us each week as we share useful information to help you develop the skills necessary to meet grief when it enters your life and to show you the importance of having difficult conversations, even when you don't know how to start them. If you're looking for more information, our website is beingwithgrief.com.